Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. All right, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come together and fellowship with one another as the body. And uh, as we study your word, as we study uh, how to cope with perilous times, uh, give us your grace and understanding to apply things to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I am trying to recover where I left off, and I think I did, uh, I did people in the world mess up our future, hinder us, and prevent us something. Uh, did I get to someone something attacked our person, body, worth, or value? I don't know. I don't think I did. Okay, so here, here's where we're at. We're studying um, how Paul wants to uh, admonish Timothy how to deal with perilous times that he's in. And he's telling Timothy what he did, and he's saying, you need to do follow up what I did. And the first thing he's talking about right here is his doctrine. You have to follow his doctrine or the, or the theology of the Bible. And like I've said, there's four areas that you have to understand about all that theology points to. It points to God, it points to people, it points to reality, and it points to you. So that's what all theology wraps up into targeting. It tells you what the reality is on all four categories. And we're in the category now of what does the Bible say about reality? Because if you do not understand reality or if you protest it or don't accept it, you will struggle in life with what life brings you because you'll be in protest mode or surrender mode or victim mode or anything like that that doesn't help you cope with what's going on. So what I'm starting to, to, to get in, into right now is people becoming angry about reality. Um, and we started that last week, and I want to continue on because <clears throat> this has the potential of really ruining you as a person um, to go into life as a bitter, resentful individual um, will not suit you well. In fact, it'll make your life more difficult. It'll, it'll probably uh, kill you earlier uh, because of the stress and the, the anxiety that all, it all brings to you as you fight reality. And again, accepting reality doesn't mean surrendering to reality. It just means that, that you're not in protest mode. Protest mode will get you in trouble. So I talked about last week a couple of the things that, that set people off about reality. And one is it that people are not very loving and, and nurturing, especially in their upbringing and their, 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 their formative years. And so they carry that with them into the rest of life. And they, they, they actually, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because if, if they weren't loved or nurtured, they think everyone's like that. And so they go through life thinking that people are in general uh, all that way. And they do a blanket, a blanket uh, black and white thinking with everybody in general. So they become isolated loners and don't want to uh, get involved in relationships. Now, the funny thing is uh, I was listening to uh, someone talk about AI and how AI is now becoming like a lot of, uh, it's going to become a lot of young males' uh, relationships 
Because a lot of the males, I can't remember the stat, a lot of males in their 20s um, are, have no, no girlfriend, no fiance, no prospects, nothing. And uh, not even dating or anything like that. And that's very unusual for 20-year-olds not to be involved in the opposite sex. And so a lot of them are being isolated. And, be, and because they're isolated, they become socially awkward so that they, when they're around the opposite sex, they're very weird, okay? They're just weird. They don't know how to interact with the opposite sex. So that's a danger because what ends up happening is those males fall off the scene and uh, they go into isolation. But here's what someone was saying this morning is that AI is now going to take that place. That AI... Um, is going to accept you. There's, it's not going to judge you, and you, and that will that AI will learn you, learn who you are, and yeah, it was Glenn Beck that was talking about this morning. I was getting ready, and Glenn Beck was talking about it, and he was saying that imagine, imagine a 25 year old male that's tired of the drama, tired of rejection with women out there, okay. Just imagine, because he's been through all the stuff and, and vice versa. Imagine a woman that's been through a, a string of idiot guys that, you know, they, they're Peter Pans, they never grow up, and there's just, there's just not a lot out there. I get it. And um, you throw them all back. And so imagine if you had an AI, and this AI, you, you come home, and this AI is saying, I, I've prepared everything for you. Um, you've had a hard day, haven't you? Come on in. I have your favorite program, and um, we're, let's talk about your day, and tell me how everything went. And you're not coming home to someone that, okay, the kids are a mess. There's been an explosion. Um, the kids have done. The, you, you, there's there's drama going on with this kid. There's a drama going on with your spouse, and and it's chaotic when you come home. Imagine coming home and the AI is comforting you and doing everything possible and removing all distractions and just focusing on you, making you the king, so to speak, or the queen, or whatever. And you actually start connecting to this AI, okay? Because this AI is all about you. It's like the ultimate narcissistic dream, right? Okay? There's no, there's no human interactions. There's no humans to, to, you know, you had a bad day, tough, so did I, get it moving. And, and you, don't, you, you don't have that, right? You don't have that. And so this AI is, is gentle with you and knows you, and do you, you want to watch, you know, the new episode of, or the old episode of, of, of you know, um, Barney Fife and, and, and Mayberry. Do you want to watch that? Or you want to watch Kojak? Which one would you prefer? And, and all of that is, is at your whim. And, and you can see the temptation that that would pose to somebody who's fed up with relational issues and even themselves have relational issues that, and then come from a loving and nurturing upbringing, that that would be attractive to them, right? Uh, and that's a real deal thing, man. Why is, I mean, think about this, guys. You tell me, why is it so many young people have such a difficult time with relationships? Why can't they figure it out? 
Why is it different now? Is it different? Because they say, they, I mean, they're, they're having major problems in finding people. Instant gratification. Yeah, Terry, go ahead. Aren't they also observing that the older generation is not a very good example of how you're supposed to treat each other? Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, true. Who, who, would wanna, who would wanna go into a relationship when you look at your parents and they're totally dysfunctional? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Why would I want that? And sa- in fact, some of the young people see how dysfunctional their parents are. You're making a very, a very good point. And that's why they're not having kids. Because they're like, I'm not gonna bring any kids into this, this world where you have, you have uh, all this stuff happening to what I went through and stuff like that. I don't want to do it. So Terry's, you're totally right. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, maybe they can't figure out if they're a boy or girl or what they that's, are. That, that, that is a problem purple too. Purple hair, pink hair. Great. Yeah, you got that. That's part of it. They, they, and that hits at the real heart of it, you know, because if you don't know who you are, if you don't have, you understand your identity, then how are you going to have a relationship with you don't know who you are, right? It, that's, that's hard. That's hard. But they are having trouble. They're having trouble. Um, yes. Um, also, aren't they on the phone all the time? So do they even know how to socialize? Well, see, that. yeah, that's, that's to that point. I think the, f- the invention of the cell phone was probably the worst thing that, you, you, that, that teenagers could have had. Number one, they're addicted to it. Okay? You try to take, try to take a, t- a teenager's phone away and see what happens. Dude. I mean, it's like a, a, a heroin addict. Dude, I mean, I, they go ballistic. But you're right. It, it has destroyed their social ability. They're sitting there behind a the phone. You know, they think they're socially networked, but they're actually not because they never are physically present with people. And then, Pastor Brandon, there was a movie several years ago where a gentleman did get attached to his phone and the phone actually started knowing him. And then like when he, cause he wanted the phone to find him a girlfriend. And then when they found him a girlfriend, the phone got jealous and started texting <laughs> and <laughs> telling the girl things. And so when you're talking about the AI, I'm like, gosh, they already made a movie on that. That's weird. That's really weird. <laughs> Yeah, that, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, go ahead, hand. Pastor. Um, yes, sir. May I be so bold to point out the generation you're talking about is the first generation that's had full-time pornography. Yeah, and good point. So that takes the romance yeah. and the relationship right out of it. That's good. Good point. Good point. Excellent. I was going to say, as speaking as someone at, about this generation you're speaking of, yeah. um, the biggest thing I see on social media is that people my age have like expectations for the person they're picking to be perfect. And as soon as they don't meet those, they just get rid of them. So they're trying to find someone that's perfect, but nobody is ever going to meet that expectation. And so as soon as it's not met, it's gone. Wow. That's wow. all I see on comments on TikTok, on Instagram, everything. If, if this isn't your relationship, it's not good. I, I wonder if that's a fail, failure to acknowledge, you know, from a Christian perspective, that people have a sin nature and are going to be flawed. I, w- I wonder if that stems to that because the schools are telling people that people are generally good, and if you put them in the right environment, they'll be fine. So maybe that does something to your mind. I don't know. I'm getting some feedback. Go ahead. 
I'd also say the phone has ruined the ability for the younger generations to work out their interpersonal skills, so that's why it's so awkward for them to connect. They don't know how to deal with differences of opinion on the internet or on behind the PC. Yeah. They control each other, say whatever they want, but when you're in front of somebody, that doesn't work because there could be real physical consequences to that that work out. You know, you think about um, how guarded these kids are in the schools to where you can't have a different opinion, you know? And and you're absolutely right. What does that do? That just creates that uh, that mentality that you know no one can disagree with you, and it creates this idea of a right not to be offended. Well, think about this: if you're married, you're like offended every day by your spouse. Okay. And I'm thinking. If these people were married, it would be like constant, constant, uh, you know, in their minds, what, what would it be called? What do they call it? Uh, what's the thing? The bullying or whatever, cyber bullying or something. I mean, it would be just, it would, they have no clue. And, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh. I, I, you know, and, and of course, you know, the, re- the reason we get offended is because the whole point is that the, the spouse, you know, we didn't marry a robot. You know, we married another human being that has a free will, and they might be right, you might be wrong, you might be right, they're wrong. And, and so that, that, that give and take is supposed to actually work to tame you from be turning into an, a, a complete idiot and a tyrant, right? Because that's what happens. If you don't, if you don't have anyone taming you, who's going to tame you, right? You just, act, you just do anything you want to do. I think we need to have a lot more young adult events, and I could say this because my son's gone already, but um, my kids need to find future spouses. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, If we were Jewish, we'd have a matchmaker, and, uh, and we would have the matchmaker find that. You have to pay a pretty price, though, for a matchmaker. Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, real quick. How do you tell if a millennial is an introvert? When they talk to you, they look at their shoes. How do you tell if they're an extrovert? When they talk to you, they look at your shoes. That's good. That's good. That's excellent. I, I like that one. But... You, you know, and, and so you see all this and you're thinking, oh, man, what has happened to society? Well, it comes back to they weren't taught this growing up, number one, by their parents. So the parents are at fault. And my generation raised the millennials and Gen Z, I guess, the, the lower end. And we did a terrible job at actually raising them. Um, very as as a group as a whole. Don't don't get me wrong. There's exceptions to the rule, but as a general thing, the the Gen X was horrible. It was just absolutely horrible because Gen X is a bunch of narcissists too, and we we created more narcissists with that generation. But the narcissism was actually accelerated with technology, if that makes sense. The technology accelerated this, and so now we got we got a major problem on our hands, and we have this antisocial behavior that people simply can't function as human beings in a social environment without going crazy and getting hostile. 
Okay, so that comes there. That, 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 so that happens. So people get mad and get, they get angry and that's why they get hostile. And then another thing that starts happening with reality is you have possibly a, a violation of your rights when you're growing up or a violation of, even as an adult, you have a violation of your rights. And that could be real rights or perceived rights. And the problem with, uh, with the whole rights issue is most people have perceived rights. So if you ask them, where do you get that right from? It, they can't trace it back to God, right? Uh, if you trace back, uh, like for instance, if, if I say you have the right to private property, I could trace that back to the 10 commandments. Thou shalt not steal, right? You have a right to a spouse. Thou shalt not commit, adult, commit adultery. You have a right to private, uh, private property. Oh, I said that. Um, you have a right to um, people not taking your stuff, right? From stealing from you. So all that, that kind of stuff is rights that give, God gave you. But the right, like the right to not be offended, that didn't come from God. The right to free college, that didn't come from God, right? The, the right to uh, um, reparations or something like that, right? Or the right to abortion, and so, that didn't come from God. You know, and you can see where our society has created rights for people, and they actually believe it, it's, it's a true right, when really it's what we call a positive right because it, the government has to give you that. So what ends up starting to happen is people have perceived rights. And just like what Black Lives Matter does, they, their perceived right is this should be paid back for something that happened 250 years ago. And it's like, you're crazy. That's what California's doing, right? California's doing that. Or, or, or think of what California's doing. California is giving... Um, somewhat of an income to those in the LGBT community or the trans community because of some perceived right that was violated for them. And again, that's just made up stuff, you know? And, or, or like when, when we talk about the schools and we, what we you know, did with the school board just a couple weeks ago, and we're gonna can follow up on this, but teachers thinking they have the right to keep information from parents. Schools thinking they have the right to keep information from parents. Um, where did they get that from? It's definitely not coming from God. But you see what I'm saying? So then people say, you violated my, my perceived rights. And, and if that's the case, these people are flustered and angry, and that's why they get mob-like when they want their reparations back and they want justice back and they feel they're entitled to steal from stores because they are owed reparations. And that's what it leads you into doing and living a life like that. But let's just say you were, you had your own via, uh, real rights violated. Someone stole from you. Someone committed adultery against you. Someone did something legitimate, Okay. How do you deal with your rights being violated? How, do, how are you supposed to handle that? Well, unfortunately, most people don't know how to handle that. And so what it does, they put it in the category of, I'm going to be angry and I'm going to seek revenge, uh, whether that's active or passive, or, or I'm going to live a certain way that prevents me from that ever happening again 
and I'm going to go too far with that, with my boundaries and rules. Um, like uh, if a man violated you as a woman, well, then I'm never going to be around another, uh, have any relationship with any man, uh, man again. And, or vice versa. I'm never going to have another relationship with a woman again because of this. And so the person ends up black and whiting the whole world and putting everybody in the category. And it's the same thing when you see in Christianity, like someone gets uh, so-called burned at a church or something like that, and something's legitimate and sometimes it's not. And they get burned by a church. Well, I'm never going to church again. And it's that kind of mentality. It's like, okay, all churches are bad. That, that, that's what they start doing. You live that way you're really going and putting yourself in isolation and you're going to end up in a world of mess in the long run. It seems like a safer solution, but it's actually not. It's very damaging to a person to disconnect from the social life of reality. Um, someone might have uh, attacked our person, body, or worth, or value. And this happens to a lot of men. Um, a lot of men struggle with rejection issues. And a lot of women probably do too. But the proportion of rejection among men is very, very high. Okay, And so what ends up happening is someone attacked their value, their worth, right? And so what ends up happening is uh, men will struggle with rejection. And in the only way to deal with rejection usually is you either, you either uh, find an outlet for that the rejection... You choose like performance to prove you're somebody or you'll choose maybe another path of destruction and say, you're right, I'm not worthy, I'm, I'm, I'm no good, I'm damaged goods or whatever, and you lead a life of destruction. You can actually do both, actually. You, you can do performance and destructive lifestyle at the same time. You actually blend the two paths. But sometimes you choose one or the other, and so people go on those paths. Both paths will kill you. Both paths, will you'll end up dead. At some the performance thing, you can't, you'll get to a point in your life where you can't perform anymore. And then if you go to the destructive lifestyle, that too will destroy you at some point in time. You can drink yourself to death, do drugs until it kills you, um, or whatever is going to kill you. Um, you'll just abuse it, abuse it, abuse it, and finally you'll destroy yourself. That's typically from rejection. And so how do, you deal, how do most guys deal with rejection, with the pain of it? Because it's continual and, and as, as you mentioned, uh, they can turn to pornography or drugs or alcohol, whatever. But why do they choose the addiction level? Because the addiction is a way of escaping the pain. It's a fantasy world. It's a, it's a way of escaping the reality of the pain of the rejection they feel. And so they will choose that. And so it doesn't shock me when you say, and you're totally right, that pornography has destroyed people, but the problem is most people won't get to the root of pornography. They won't get to the root of an addiction. And the root cause, if, when I, I counsel with people about pornography or with any addiction, it always will come down to the root of rejection. Every time almost. And they have been rejected in their life and they don't know what to do with this uh, rejection, so they look for outlets uh, to ease the pain. And that's why, um, you know, you think about even a kid on a phone that's not necessarily doing pornography, but the kid is escaping through the phone from reality, right? You can escape on the phone or the video game thing. 
they get stuck on the video games and those kids will play it for hours. And now we have adults in their 40s you know, playing for hours and hours and hours and not going to bed till three or four in the morning and then getting up to work. And it's like, what, do you, what were you doing? Well, I was playing video games all night. That's not healthy for you, okay? That's just not healthy because you're escaping into a fantasy world and you're not even in touch with the reality at some point. But I get it. I understand where it comes from. It's a, it's a I'm trying to escape the pain of rejection, so what, do you, what, what, so what do you do with the pain of rejection? You have to cure it with truth. What is the truth? The truth is you're totally accepted by God through the Messiah. There's where your acceptance is. That's it. If you're accepted by God, what do you care if someone else rejects you? If the one person that only counts in your life, which is Jesus, accepts you and says you're fully accepted in the beloved, that's it. That's all you need to know. But you have to be able to transfer from the, the rejection issue to the acceptance issue by faith. You have to be able to make the transfer over. And, and if you can't, you'll stay in rejection mode. And if you stay in rejection mode, guess what will happen? You'll never get out of any addiction. You just won't. That's how it works. You have to eventually make the transfer to faith. If you make the transfer to faith, it does, it's, the addiction will actually stop because you'll find satisfaction in where the pain is coming from. The pain will go away because I'm, I'm, I'm accepted in Christ. Oh, okay, different ballgame. And then you apply the truth to, let's, talk, let's apply the truth to the knucklehead who rejected you. Okay, let's just apply, apply it to them. And you, you put the truth on them and, you're, and, and sometimes it's gonna come out you know what, They're, that person there is like mentally ill, right? And, and, or this person was going through a rough time in their life and they were all messed up and they weren't thinking straight and that's why they did it. And, and, and so you bring the truth to the, the rejecter and, and see how that changes things. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But People go through their life in a, with a myth. And the myth is, I'm rejected. And that becomes their identity. And they really never get away from that unless they make the transfer of faith over to fully being accepted in Christ. So you can see what it does to people. People who have rejection issues are very, very angry and then become very narcissistic because it's all about them. They have to feel better they have to feel better about themselves. You know what they typically do at work? They brown those. That's what they do. You ever seen one of them? They, they need constant pattings on the back. Okay, you did good. You're okay now. And it's like every day. Every day. And it's like, dude, just do your job. But you know what they're struggling with? They're struggling with the insecurity of rejection. And so they got to they gotta keep, keep like constantly checking in whether or not they're doing a good job because they're, they're that insecure with themselves. And so you can see how it starts affecting people and people start developing like antisocial behavior. Like, hey, man, you're really annoying. And, and, and they don't realize they're even being annoying because they're so on edge and so insecure, they don't even have an idea that they're, it's messing them up socially with other people. And that's why people don't want to be around them because they're weird. 
And I'm just telling you the truth. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, that's what people tell me you know, in the counseling sessions that I'm in. They're like, yeah, I agree. You are weird. And, and you, you do need to start acting better socially because you, you, you know, I'll have a conversation with a guy. I said, let me ask you this. When you come into the church, do you talk to anybody? Well, no, I just come and sit down. I said, why? This is a social gathering. This is a body of Christ. You should be talking to people. Hi, how's it going? Ask them what their problem is. Do you need prayer? But no, that's not what narcissism does. That's not what rejection does. Rejection sits down and doesn't say a word to anybody and then leaves on their own and never says another word. That's antisocial behavior. It's not normal, right? It's not normal to act that way, but what ends up happening is you find out they have rejection issues. So they're not about to start a relationship with anybody. And so if it's hitting the guys the most, no wonder the 20-year-olds are not getting into relationships with girls because they fear rejection. But see, if you go to pornography, there's no rejection from the girls, right? There isn't. And that's why they, a lot of them turn to that fantasy world and that outlet because no one says no. There's no rejection in the world, in the fantasy. And that's what you got. You got, you got to know that about addictions. It's a rejection issue. So, but somebody in their past did this. So either their mom left them or their dad left them or an uncle or grandma or a teacher or a coach or you just go down the list. Now, we're not supposed to blame them but you have, to, you have to put truth on the situation so you can get free from the rejection issue. And I'm telling you, about 95% of the guys deal with rejection. I don't know what the stat is for women. I know women deal with rejection issues as well. Um, and women can handle that different ways. Guys handle that different ways. So guys typically go to the sexual arena. Women go to food. Oh yeah, I'm not making that up. I'm not making that up. Uh, the stats will show that women will go either to bulimia, uh, bulimia or anorexia or they go to overeating. Because n- guess what the number one addiction is? It's food. It's food. It's not cocaine. It's food. Now, again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm putting those out there so you understand what people are dealing with. So when, I'm not saying every time you see somebody that, you know, is, is, you know, socially awkward that they have rejection. I'm just saying, based on the research, the clinical research, the stats, based on my 20 years of counseling, I see what's happening. So the women will choose that as, a, as an alternative, and the men will choose sexual arena. And that's how it goes. And so both are fighting their own struggles and their own addictions, and it becomes an ongoing battle for the rest of their life unless they get free from rejection. That, and that's the, the big kicker right there, okay? So then what happens is people lose something that's very precious to them. So they're going through life, and something was lost that they valued. And it could have been, you know, a parent. It could have been a sibling. You know, they lost in death or they lost their health, or they, they, uh, they lost a career opportunity, or whatever that might be, right? And it's devastating to them. And they never really get over it because they refuse to grieve. So when you lose something, whether you lost a job, whether you lose your health, whether you lose a, a loved one or a friend in death, 
If you do not grieve, because grief is actually a gift from God. If you do not grieve the loss, that loss will get inside of you as, as a root of bitterness and it will manifest either in anger, depression, or bargaining with your life. And you'll do the what if, well, I should have done this, I should have done that. What if I would have done this, what if I would have done that? That's the bargaining aspect. But usually people get stuck between depression and anger. And, it, and actually they go back and forth between the two categories. And they live like that for the rest of their life. So what, what do you, what is, what, how do you get out of that? How, how do you move from, from anger and depression and shock and all that stuff that's going on? You have to grieve. And what do you mean? Well, what ends up happening to a lot of people, let me tell you that what they don't do or what they do instead of grieving, they hold it inside and they hold it inside and they refuse to grieve, they refuse to cry, they refuse to acknowledge what's happening and pretend it didn't happen. And that is the ability for most people to detach from their emotions, okay? Now, there's times where you have to detach from your emotions. Like if I do a funeral uh, for a loved one uh, or somebody I know and I'm doing the funeral, I have to actually detach emotionally in order to do the funeral. Otherwise, I'll start crying. And so you, it's a technique of detaching from emotions and you just like act like a robot and you go through it so that you can get through it, right? And that's, I've had to do several funerals like that that really I probably wasn't emotionally prepared to do the funeral because it was a loved one. And so you, you learn how to detach, that's appropriate detachment. There are times where you have to detach and you're like, I gotta get the job done. I know all chaos is breaking loose and, and everyone's going crazy, but I gotta do this. And, and you detach and then you get the job done. And then you reattach back to your emotions when it's over. Okay. So the, what ends up happening in grief, uh, maybe a loss of a marriage, loss of somebody, is they will automatically detach from emotions because the emotions are too painful and they don't want to feel the pain. So they detach and the emotions just sit there and they, they go into the soul or the spirit or, the, or the, the heart of the individual and they're kept down there and pushed down there metaphorically. So they don't feel anything. So the person will actually become numb to what's going on around them. They can't feel anything, okay? And so... This is what they do. And they actually will just hold it down in there forever. Forever, it will, they will just keep it down. They will never let it surface, okay? And, and, and what, we, what we're supposed to do as the gift that God gives us, you're supposed to mourn for loss. You need to mourn. And what does that mean? You have to allow yourself to feel the pain of the loss and it hurts and you'll cry for hours and you'll, you'll, you'll have moments where you're good, a day where you're good and then the next day you'll cry all day long and here's the thing, the more you cry, the more you mourn, the more healing starts actually happening inside of you. That's the gift of mourning. And the Bible requires mourning, doesn't it? 
It doesn't say shut down your mourning. Mourn for that which you lose. It is proper to mourn because that's the only way you're going to get healed inside. And then what do you do when you mourn? Okay, so I'm mourning the loss. I'm, um, I, I'm, I'm letting my emotions out, okay? I'm letting all of this out so I can get healing inside my soul. Once I'm done getting all my emotions out and I, I give all my grief out, which might take a year, which might take two years, which might take a long time. It just depends on what kind of what you're grieving over. Once you get to the end of the grief and you've got all the grief out, you know what happens? Acceptance. Acceptance happens and then you can move on. Not moving on from the person, not moving on, but then I can go about my life without it being destroyed. And that's what people don't get to because they refuse to grieve. And so they just don't go about their life anymore. They've never reconciled it. They've never healed it. So guess what happens? Let me tell you what happens. Because they have not grieved the loss, it makes them socially weird. And again, I always go back to how they function with other people. You're like, what do you mean? How will they function with other people? They won't be able to connect with you. What do you mean? I see them uh, on Sunday. I say, hello, Joe, how you doing? And hey, Bert, how you doing? And I ask them how life is. That's not connection. That's an acquaintance. Real connection requires that you have the ability not just only to understand the person, but I can sympathize and empathize with that individual. Well, well, what do you mean? Joe can't empathize with anybody. If you try to tell Joe your pain, he, I know what his reaction will be. He will pull off of you. Because in order to him to connect to you, he has to feel your pain. He doesn't want to feel your pain because in feeling your pain, he has to feel his own. So he can't and he refuses to connect on an emotional level, empathetically or sympathetically, because they refuse to feel their own pain. And you will always feel, you know, Joe's a nice guy, but I never can connect to him. That's right, and you're not going to because Joe can't grieve. And if he can't grieve, he can't emotionally attach to anyone and connect to them emotionally. Guess what the number one thing women say about their husbands? What's the number one complaint? He can't connect to me. Number one complaint. He can't connect to me. And I say, I, really, you think he's just, just an idiot or what do you think, what's going on? You know, um, well, he's always kind of a bozo, but I don't know about, you know, I, 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 he's, he's my bozo and, and I love my bozo. But the thing about it, Brandon, is, you know, I can deal with the bozo antics, but I just simply can't connect to him uh, emotionally. It's just, it's not there for me. He's just, he doesn't understand. Like when I'm having an emotional day, he has no ability to empathize or sympathize with me. I said, yep, I know. So what do you think it is? You think it's personal? You think he's, he's actually not wanting to connect to you, right? Well, yeah, it just seems if he would love me, he would connect. And I, said, I go, he has no ability to connect to you because he's shut down his emotions. And we find out the background that what's happened and he's shut down his emotions from trauma or pain in the past. And unless he deals with that trauma and pain, he's never gonna connect to you. So what we have to do is your problem is not your problem. It's actually his past that's a problem. That's why he's not connecting to you. 
And we can only get him to connect to you if he wants to deal with his past. And most guys won't. Some guys will, but most guys won't. But that's what starts happening. So when I say people start acting weird socially, this is why when you're around people, you start realizing, how come I can't connect to that person, man? How come they, they can't feel anything? How come, what's wrong with that? It's because of that. It won't grieve. So you want to be weird? Don't grieve then. Okay? You want to be normal and a normal functioning human being as God's created you? Then use the gift of grief and grieve for your loss. You have every right to grieve for that loss. But then when you grieve, and what you want to do is mix it with the truth, and the truth is you get it all back anyway. So anything you lose in this life, Messiah has promised you that you get it all back. But a hundredfold, not just everything back, but a hundredfold in the kingdom. You get your health back, you get your body back, you get your loved ones back, you get everything back. So when you're starting to grieve, you're like, okay, I'm losing this temporarily. Temporarily. You always have to say that, temporarily, because I get everything back in the kingdom. And if you can do that, then you can actually accept it. And, and, And then be able to say, okay, what's my next thing that God wants me to do? I lost this. But what's the next thing God wants me to do? Instead of saying, I lost this and my life is ruined and I'm not going anywhere from this point on. That's not, that's not, that's not grief. Okay, so you lose some, that's how you deal with it. Okay, so here's what ends up happening. The summation of all of this is I didn't get what I wanted and or I got something I didn't want. That's at the basis of anger. You understand that? Perceived or real, that's at the basis of anger. So let me, let me show you what happens with anger, okay? Because this is a real deal stuff. Anger comes from the perspective and feeling that we are, are a perpetual victim for people violating our rights, real or perceived. doesn't matter. So your anger is supposed to be a gift, okay, from God. It's supposed to be used properly. And, and, and really what anger is supposed to do is to motivate you and actually give you the energy to protect that which is valuable. That's what anger's for, to protect that which is valuable, right? So that's where it's a gift, but the sin nature misuses it. And so all these violations of your rights that are making you angry, you need to chalk it up to not God, but free will. Because God gives us the free will, and due to this free will, there's a liability in it. And the liability is, people are going to hurt you. You will hurt yourself. The satanic world wants to hurt you, and the fallen world will hurt you. Not God, because everyone wants to blame God. It's the situation that we're in because of free will. If you don't like free will, then you, I guess you like being a robot. But that's the liability. And you have to understand that. If God were to stop people from harming you, then they wouldn't, their free will would cease to exist. If, if he turned a robber's gun into a squirt gun, every time someone pulled out a gun, that would be limiting free will. And he's not about to do that to free will creatures. He will not violate free will. And so that's the liability. Okay, well then what am I mad about? I'm mad about injustice. That's really where, where 
Anger comes from, because if I'm to use anger properly, I see something wrong and I'm gonna use my anger to either protect something that's valuable or defend something or stop something from hurting something valuable, right? That's what anger is supposed to do. It's, it's towards injustice. The problem is when you get into perceptive injustice, perceptive injustice, it's not real. It's, you, you just think it's injustice or whatever. There's real in perce- perception. So what ends up happening in both cases? If you let it go too long, resentment, bitterness, disappointment, surrender, depression, it's all centered on that. That's what starts happening to people. They start melting down in their, in, in their walk with the Lord because they're so angry. I get it. I'm angry too. I don't like the way life is. Do you? I don't have to like it. I just, know how, I just need to know how to use my anger properly. Okay, I can have a righteous indignation, and so can you, against abortion, can't I? And can't you? That's what you're supposed to be angry for, right? But here's the thing. You're made in the image of God, so you're going to react to injustice, real or perceived. See, being made in the image of God, you have a knack inside of you, something that stirs inside of you, which is called the law of God that's written on your heart. You already know what right and wrong is. No one has to tell you this because it's on your heart. So when you see injustice, that, that image bearer in you wants to stop it. Stop what you're doing. Quit. You're hurting somebody or whatever it might be. That's the natural response that's a, that any image bearer has. The problem is if you mis- misperceive reality, right? So like the LGBT misperceives reality. They think they have a right to do what they do. But God hasn't given them that right. Or transgenderism or whatever that might be. That's a perceived anger. That's why they're so angry. They think it's injustice that's happening to them. The problem is they can't claim injustice when what they're doing is immoral. Right? You can't claim injustice if you're doing something immoral. That's like the bank robber saying it was unjust the way they arrested me when I was robbing this bank. They should have arrested me a different way. They should have been nicer to me. What? What are you talking about? So there's times to be angry, and rightfully so. The grooming of kids, right? That kind of junk. Jesus did it twice in the temple with the money changers. And, and it says the zeal of the house will be upon, zeal of the house of the Lord will be upon him. And he got angry. And what did he do? He got whips and whipped them right out of there. I mean, that's, that's anger. I remember somebody telling me, well, what's that about? Jesus getting mad and stuff. I said, well, God gets mad. It says in the Bible, he gets mad. It's called wrath. It's called anger, right? And here's the thing about, about this. You must be angry at the right things, Okay, if you're in line with God and you're angry about the same things God's angry about, then you're okay. It's when you get off on your own ship and you're angry at things that are just, you know, indicative of you and your life and how you wanted it to go. Okay, so it's a gift. It's meant to protect. Look at Winston Churchill said about anger. A man is about as big as the things that make him angry. It's a good point. You can see him saying that during you know, World War II, that you have to be angry when people are doing bad things. 
and it should cause you to act, right? That's the normal response. The problem is even in our society, they have all these angers for misperceived reality, but they're not angry about the right things. How come they're not angry about the right things? Because they're not in line with God. So we sit there and we're scratching our heads, you know, at school boards across the nation thinking, do you people see what you're doing? Why are you not angry about this? Because they're not, they're not in the reality with God. They're off on their own. So they're, they, they get angry at the wrong things. They're not angry about the right things. Look at what Ephesians says, be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place or foothold to the devil. So this is where you have to control your anger because you will give him a foothold where they can operate against you and use your anger against you and control you with your anger. It's a very, very hard thing. Very hard thing. So here's what you have to do. Identify the focus of your anger using truth. What are you really angry about? What are you mad about? Can you actually vocalize it? You need to be able to. I'm mad at the way I was treated. Great, let's deal with that. I'm mad with the way my parents abandoned me. Great, let's deal with that. Let's deal with your abandonment issues. I'm mad in the fact that my dad left when I was uh, nine years old. Okay, great, let's deal with that. I'm mad that my spouse and I can't get along. Great, let's deal with that. I'm mad that so-and-so's sick. Great, let's deal with that. If you don't deal with it, the anger will get more and more intense and no one will want to be around you because you just get bitter and nasty and then you get critical and you're criticizing everything and it's like, oh my gosh, I can't even be around you. You're like, you're like vinegar, man. I just, oh, you're awful. So here's the thing. Why am I angry? What is the sin? Identify the sin that was done to you, if you can. What's the real issue? How serious is the offense? Well, I'm mad at my mom and dad because they didn't bite me a dog when I was five. And I hold it to them to this day that they didn't bite me a dog. And how dare they? They were so neglectful of me. Oh yeah, be be careful about this. You know why? Because modern counselors in the crazy land world, the secular world, they make all people victims in their counseling. And they will call, like, seriously, I've heard things like this, you know, well, um, your parents abused you um, because they didn't get that dog for you. You were in abuse. Look, you go to a counselor like that and they're out there, I'm telling you, That's why I wouldn't go to a secular counselor because everything's abuse. Everything fits under the definition of abuse. You were abused. You were abused. And we're not talking about physical, uh, you know, abuse, sexual abuse. No, no. You were abused because you didn't get what you wanted. That that kid or that young adult that goes to that counselor comes out jacked up because they'll demonize everybody and their parents. And that, that's what causes so many conflicts in homes is a crazy counselor giving people that advice. You were abused when you were growing up. And they're like, no, that was a normal growing up. That was normal. Anyway, is the anger valid? Is the anger valid that, that what, what, what you have? Is it valid? 
Or is it my own distorted perception from stress, fatigue, frustration, inconvenience, emotional hotspot, disappointed someone rejected me, hurt me, embarrassed me, but did not actually morally sin against me? You have to figure that one out. If it's not a sin, then it's coming from your, maybe your fatigue. Maybe it's coming from it's inconveniencing you because you can't find a parking spot. Or maybe it's you're, you're disappointed that someone rejected you. Well, they rejected Jesus. They're going to reject you. Or maybe someone embarrassed you. So really, you're angry because you got embarrassed. Is that a mortal sin? Is that something you're going to hold on to? Dude, better let it go. So here's the truth. We must determine whether the rights we think we're entitled to are from the Bible or if they are simply made up by us. You have to figure that out. Two, if they were biblical rights that were violated, then we need to understand how God handles the justice of our situation. And here's the question. Will you trust him for the justice of the situation? Because you must hand it over, even if it was tr- truly violated. So you'll, do, you'll take revenge. If you don't, you verbal and f- physical abuse or you'll, you'll, you'll surrender. And so here's what you have to do. You come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. If, you, if you're very angry, you go before the throne in the name of the Messiah and say, I'm angry and I need help. And what, you, what you're gonna find is you're gonna have to release the penalty aspect of your rights, rights being violated, okay? We call this forgiveness in the Bible, but really what, what we're talking about is releasing the punishment that's attached to the sin to God, okay? And you have to do vertical forgiveness and then trust him for the justice. Now, let me explain a little bit. Di- Oops, uh, where'd my thing go? Let me explain a little uh, the difference. Um, oops, there we go. The, di- the difference between vertical forgiveness and horizontal forgiveness. This passage, Mark eleven twenty five, is about vertical forgiveness. Okay, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Now, this is what we call for vertical forgiveness because in vertical forgiveness, you are required to forgive if you want to maintain fellowship with God. So you must forgive them unto God. What am I doing? I'm releasing the penalty to God and trusting him for the justice to exact that penalty on that person in his own timing and in his own way, okay? That's called vertical forgiveness. That is absolutely required, okay? There is no compromise on this. So if you're dealing with anger, so someone violated you, you have to ask yourself, have I vertically forgiven to God? I give it up to God. I've given the penalty over. I'm not gonna take matters in my own hands, okay? The second thing that gets confusing is horizontal forgiveness. This is a whole different ballgame. Horizontal forgiveness is not forgiving them unto God because that's demanded of you. Horizontal forgiveness is conditional with the individual. Okay, so let's read this text. Take heed to yourselves. Conditional. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Okay? That's your job. And if... If, you get the if, the conditional, if he repents, then forgive him. And if he, gets, if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times what? 
comes back to you in that day and returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Ah, you see the difference between vertical and then horizontal forgiveness. I'm demanded that I vertically forgive him unto God. But horizontal forgiveness is based on the repentance of the person who sinned against me and doesn't mean I have to reconcile with them. Because notice the condition, if they repent. What if they don't repent? Well, then you're not obligated to horizontally forgive them in a formal relationship one-on-one between the individual. Do I forgive them to God? Of course you do, that's your demand. But I do not have to issue forgiveness horizontally to someone that continues to act like an idiot, right? If they keep hurting me and they keep doing me harm and they won't stop and they won't stop and there's no repentance, they're not coming to you saying, man, I really blew it, doggone it. I can't believe I acted like that. I was drunk, yada, 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 right? Then I can forgive that. Fine, yeah, no problem, I get it. You were drunk, said some things you shouldn't have said. All right, I forgive you. If they do that, you're, you have to forgive. But if they don't and they don't repent, you are not obligated to give them horizontal forgiveness. Okay? Not giving them horizontal forgiveness will not make you bitter. What makes you bitter is if you won't vertically forgive them with God. That's what makes you bitter. But you see, horizontal forgiveness is not so much for you because you're already demanded to forgive them to God. It's for them, It's for them to reestablish the relationship by coming to you in a repentance mode and saying, I really blew it. I'm sorry, I sinned against God in heaven. Will you forgive me? Yes, you are forgiven. I am releasing you of any penalty that I hold on you. Boom. Now, here's the thing. That doesn't mean that I'm required to reconcile. I can give forgiveness and say, and I think it's better that we depart from each other from this point on. And that's okay. Do not think for a moment, this is, this is part of the secular world invading Christianity and not seeing the difference. And the secular world says, well, Brandon, if you're gonna forgive, you gotta forget and you gotta reconcile with me. Oh, no, I don't. That's the secular world. I am not required to reconcile. If the person is, you know, done something that, you know what, man, you crossed the line, I forgive you and, and everything, I release you from the penalty, but... Hey man, what you did, I can never trust you again. Like never. And so I, I, I can't be around you anymore because I don't trust you. Trusting someone and forgiving someone, two different categories, yeah? Totally different categories. Someone's been cheating on you for, you found out for five years. I don't trust you anymore, man. You are having a double life. I forgive you, but I'm not reconciling with you. I'm taking the exclusion that Jesus gave and I'm out of here. And that's fair. So don't ever have someone pressure. Well, I don't know what your pastor's teaching you. Well, show them this, the difference between horizontal and vertical forgiveness. And it doesn't say that you must reconcile. Let me ask you this. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Okay, who is he talking to? He's talking about the centurions crucifying him. Not the, not the religious leaders that handed him over and knew what they were doing. He was talking to the, the, um, the centurions. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They have no clue that I'm God in the flesh standing in front of them. They think I'm just some criminal. So he asked for forgiveness. Let me ask you this. 
Were any of the, the centurions ever reconciled to Christ? Maybe one, yeah, it was one. That was it. The rest of them weren't reconciled, even though he prayed for their forgiveness, right? But only one was reconciled. So uh, understand, even from the deity, Messiah offers a prayer of forgiveness. Only one is reconciled back to him. Now, were the other ones forgiven? Yes, they were forgiven, but they weren't reconciled back to him, except the one. Oh, so reconciliation is totally different. Yes, right. It is totally different. It's a different ballgame. So, in your anger, I give them over to God to give the penalty over, and then I will only forgive if they ask for it. If they don't ask for it, don't give it. Because it's for them. And maybe they don't want forgiveness. Because in their minds, they didn't think they did anything wrong to you. Well, how are you going to deal with someone like that that doesn't think they were wrong? You can't. It's time to move on. You just move on. And that's all the Bible requires of you. And I'm going to tell you what, if you understand this, this vertical versus horizontal forgiveness, it will free you of your anger. It will. It will free you. And think about, I'm giving this over to God. And if you have to, here's what I want you, I recommend you do, and I'm going to end on this. If you're really bothered by people who have mistreated you and you have a legitimate sin that they did against you, okay? And maybe they're dead. Maybe you're never going to see them again, right? You're never, never going to have the horizontal forgiveness. That's over. Here's what you do. You get a yellow pad and you write the name of everybody you're ticked off at, Okay? So when you're about 175 down on the list, okay, and you're still going, I need you to write everyone, everything on that list to get it out of you. Everything. And if that list ends up being 500 people, so be it. I, you, I, as a counselor, I want it on the list because I want you to see it, the name. I want you to write it down. And I want you to say, that person did X, Y, and Z to, against me. Great. I need that out of you. Get it out. Put it on the paper. Something amazing what happens when you put it on paper. Then you take that paper. Lord, doing the vertical forgiveness, I give the penalty of what these people did to me over to you. You deal with the justice of them, for I release them to you. And once you do that and you're sincere about it, freedom happens. But you have to be sincere about it. You can't hold them back. That's why I say put everybody on the list. And because you're gonna, everyone you put on that list, you're going to give them over. And you're not going to hold any, anything against them anymore because you've forgiven them and you've given them the penalty. Now, here's the thing. You have to trust God with the justice of it. Because it's not going to happen immediately. It may not even happen in this lifetime. But can you trust God, the king of righteousness and justice, to exact the right amount of penalty on that person? I can. And that's what you have to do. So it's a matter of faith. Okay? So anyway, let's take a break. We'll come back, do some current events. 
Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.